Well, open your Bibles to Psalm 22, and I'm going to start this morning by reading the whole Psalm. Psalm 22. For the choir director, upon Ijaleth Hashahar, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, be my help. Hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel. For he is not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people born who will be born that he has performed it. About uh, a year or so ago, I remember uh, watching the news and hearing a secular news reporter who I know isn't saved. And he was expressing uh, frustration with Christians, including in his own family, for continuing to gather together as a church during uh, the pandemic. And he said, 
Jesus doesn't need to hear your praises. Jesus doesn't need to hear your praises. Jesus is going to be just fine without them. And I was telling this to all who uh, would listen uh, to him. Um, leaving completely to one side just for the moment, uh, the, the issue of whether or not it's safe at any time uh, to gather in any particular circumstances. Let, let me ask this question, and that is, is he right in what he's saying? Jesus doesn't need to hear your uh, praises, um, and we'll be just fine without them. Does that sentiment in teaching exalt Christ high above, beyond the need of uh, our, our uh, praises, our humble praises before him, or does it actually belittle Christ, that he doesn't need to hear uh, our praises, that it's fine for those to be skipped and skipped uh, indefinitely? Well, my message this morning is in two parts. If you're here for Sunday school, it's similar to uh, uh, the Sunday school. Um, first, our praise in music as a church ministers to God. This psalm says that. Uh, and second, our praise in music as a church ministers to you. So our praise in music as a church, it ministers to God uh, and it ministers to you as well. And uh, this is a long psalm. We're not going to cover it verse by verse. In fact, We'll mostly be focused in on one verse in the psalm, um, verse 3. Verse 3 in uh, the psalm, which says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Interesting uh, verse, important verse. God is holy. He's enthroned upon the praises of uh, Israel. Uh, let me give you a quick definition of worship that goes together with these praises of Israel that God is uh, enthroned on. Praises are our uh, vehicle for our worship. And uh, worship is being glad in your heart that God is, that he exists, and that he exists exactly as he does, and that he's not any different from who he is and uh, what he does. It's, it's being glad that God is that way, that God exists. It's uh not at all wishing that he were any different, but being glad that he is the way he, he uh, says he is and the way he actually exists, and then expressing it. Not only being glad in your heart, but for that gladness to find expression uh, on your lips. And uh, that is the definition of uh, worship. We said um, in Sunday school uh, this morning that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the worship that's expressed by the lips uh, should be done uh, with the whole heart, should be done with the mind, uh, as well as every other aspect of the body. It should be heartfelt in your whole person, with your whole spirit, by the power of uh, the Holy Spirit uh, as well. Well, when I give that definition of worship and uh, connect it with our praises in church, like when we sing uh, together, it ought to highlight to you or bring up at least how imperfect our worship is. Our worship really falls short of that when we sing uh, in church. It falls short of being worship that is wholehearted, conscious uh, in every way, gladness, thankfulness in heart expressed uh, to the Lord. Um, our worship um, approaches that and is that at its best, I think, at some moments. But at how often while we're singing together at church are you tempted to uh, to look at your cell phone? And uh, just take care of something uh, really quickly or think about uh, your mind is instead of being on the Lord is on some challenge at work or uh, on uh, uh, your kids. Uh, busy thoughts intrude 
and uh, I hate to say this, but sometimes not just busy thoughts, but sinful thoughts intrude. We have an enemy, we have a, a, a flesh that we carry around to us that responds uh, to uh, temptation, and so sinful thoughts can intrude. Selfish thoughts, at the very moment when you're supposed to be worshiping God, you're thinking of yourself, and maybe even thinking of yourself in uh, uh, sinful uh, ways. And even at best, your best moments of worship, or our best moments of worship uh, as a church, when you, when you feel like you're bringing all of yourself, when you feel like you're understanding the words that you're singing to uh, uh, the Lord, and your whole being is resonating and, and uh, wanting to say those words uh, to the Lord, there's a sense of reverence, a sense of awe that you have uh, for the Lord. Even at your best, there's a great deal that's lacking. There's much room for improvement. That uh, your worship could be more worshipful. Your gladness of heart could be more glad. The truth that you're singing could be better understood uh, by you. And so there's a, a great uh, deal uh, a lacking uh, as well. And yet here's this passage that says God is holy. And yet he is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And if our worship is imperfect, I think Israel's was and, and even will be uh, imperfect as well. Given all I've just said about how imperfect our worship is here at the church, even at its best, would it be blasphemous to say God is holy and he is enthroned upon the praises of Trinity Bible Church? Is the praise in music together when we sing at, at Trinity Bible Church? Is it uh, a, a throne for the Lord in all of his holiness? You might say, well, what kind of a, a shabby Throne for God is that, our worship. Um, wouldn't a high view of God require that our praise in worship and our singing doesn't really matter? Or if it does matter, it doesn't matter all that much to the Lord? Wouldn't it be a low view of God to say that our praises in all of their imperfections are a throne for God and especially a throne for his holiness? This uh, verse, almost when you first read it, I'll, I'll say when I first read it, it almost seems to combine two very different thoughts and tie them together kind of haphazardly. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 3, you are holy, indicating God is totally different from his creature, totally different from mankind, totally different from anything that we could ever imagine because he is creator and we are a um, uh, uh, creature and God is totally unlike his uh, creation. He is uh, holy. And yet it's followed by this thought, you're enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And if God is totally unlike man, then how can his throne rest on the praises of men, whether it be Israel or whether it be Trinity Bible Church or any other group of uh, imperfect uh, uh, believers? Well, God is holy in every sense. He's holy in his power. He's holy in his being. He's holy in his knowledge. In all those ways, he's unlike his uh, cre creation. But God has chosen for his holiness to be showcased nowhere more than in this contrast that's being brought out by this whole uh, verse. And it's it's very it's a very mundane contrast, actually, in which God is not like his creation. It's not the contrast between the infinite and the finite. It's not the contrast that God is omnipotent in power and man is weak and so he is holy. Or the contrast um, th that God is omniscient and man is ignorant. 
But the contrast that's being made here in this verse by God's holiness, his otherness from creation is a very simple one. And that is this, that God keeps his word. God keeps his word and man doesn't. And specifically in this psalm, he keeps his word to deliver all who call upon him. Though your predicament that you're facing, though that your adversity be as, as bad and as dark as a crucifixion. And that's the way in which this um, uh, adversity of David is described even before crucifixion was even uh, invented because it, it ultimately points to Christ in his, uh, um, uh, in his uh, crucifixion uh, as well. But uh, God is holy in that he delivers from evil. He delivers from evil according to his promise. He's promised to deliver all who call uh, upon him so that they praise him. And so he, uh, the praises of God are a new song that he's put into our mouth, a song of salvation to our God that he has uh, called us, uh, that he's delivered us uh, from sin and from death and from evil and from every uh, adversity and trial when we call out to him and he's put a song of praise in our mouth. And that's the way his holiness is put on display. Not his holiness uh, that he's different uh, in being or in power, but especially his holiness in this sense that he keeps his word and man doesn't. Let God be true, though every man is a liar. And so in that way, this is not a, a schizophrenic two lines that say two totally different things. But it uh, is really saying the same thing. You are holy. You are unlike man uh, in every way because you keep your word and you deliver according to your promise and elicit the praises of your people. And in that way, your holiness, your difference from all of uh, uh, creation is showcased by the praises, imperfect as they are, the praises of your people who are uh, delivered from death and their heart. Yes, imperfectly in this life full of praise to the Lord. In that way, uh, the praises of God's people are a throne for his uh, uh, holiness. So because God displays his holiness nowhere more than in that contrast, that he keeps his word uh, and that man uh, doesn't, God is very much concerned with his praises on earth. And the praises on earth, imperfect as they are, Minister to God, show forth his holiness and are the throne of his holiness. And because of that, God says about himself and about his praise, Exodus 20, 20, uh, 20, verse five, I am the Lord, your God. I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous for, for my uh, uh, praise, jealous for the praise of imperfect People, people who are so far removed from God uh, as uh, creatures uh, that it, it, it even uh, we, we're not even able to imagine uh, the distance. Imagine a person who has, a, let's say, an ant farm, and uh, the ants begin to, you know, they're fed by this person, and so they end up worshiping this person. And let's say they build a little image to uh, this person and begin to worship this person, and the person begins to care very much what the ants think of him. What would you call that person? You'd call that person crazy. You know, that's a, that's a person who uh, has lost his sense of uh, reality. And yet, in one sense, that's what God does when he pays attention to our praises. That's what God does when he sets forth his holiness 
and sets it forth to the world uh, uh, by showing, uh, putting real praise in the hearts of his people. The Bible says that the foolishness of God, things that men consider foolish, is wiser than men, and it pleased God to be known uh, by man, not through the wisdom of man and the best that man uh, can offer, but uh, through uh, something that is considered foolish by uh, men. So God demonstrates his holiness by eliciting the attitude of worship in his people, imperfect uh, as it is. And so when you come together to praise the Lord in song, you're coming to holy ground. You're coming to a throne that God uh, cares very much about because it sets forward his uh, uh, holiness. And what is true of our singing, that God doesn't need it, and yet it enthrones his uh, holiness, is also true of your prayers. God doesn't need them uh, either. And yet uh, they set forth his holiness. They set forward his uh, faithfulness to his people and faithfulness to his word in a way that shows him to be unlike man. Uh, and shows him to be holy. What is true of your singing together uh, in worship is also true of your fellowship, imperfect as it is. It's a it's an index. It's an indicator of what God's love is like. And there's a there's a taste of God's love for us in our imperfect fellowship with uh, one another uh, as well. God doesn't need a temple. God doesn't need a kingdom. He doesn't need any of uh, these things. And yet he uh, uh, considers it. In his own wisdom, uh, uh, according to his wisdom, to set forth his holiness in uh, these things. It's also true of your obedience. All of your obedience. God doesn't need it. And yet he considers your obedience to him to be an offering of praise, which is acceptable and pleasing uh, to him. So the praises of God's people are the throne, are the display for his holiness. For his uh, holiness. You are holy and you are enthroned upon uh, the praises of uh, Israel. It's uh, so important to the author of this psalm that that's, it's kind of the thought that orients him when he can't see. He's in the middle of the worst trial. Let, let me read verse 3 kind of in context because it uh, comes a, as, a, as a thought that sort of stabilizes him and re, refocuses his uh, faith in the worst difficulty and at the brunt of the worst uh, difficulty that he's experiencing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cried by day, but you not, do not answer by, and by night, but I have no rest. But then this thought comes to him. Yet you are holy. You're unlike every man uh, that I see because you are enthroned upon the praises of uh, Israel. In you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them. In you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And so God's holiness is unlike, he's unlike man in that uh, when it seems that his word is going to fail, uh, his word does not fail. He keeps uh, his word, which is to deliver those who trust in him and who cry out to him, even in uh, the worst uh, uh, moment. Uh, and so uh, Israel, the experience of the nation of Israel itself is going to set forth the Lord's holiness. The, the story of that nation from start uh, to finish uh, is going to be that uh, though they go through the worst trial and uh, the worst kinds of suffering, utter darkness as a nation, yet the Lord is going to call them out to a most glorious future uh, as a nation when they when they trust in uh, him. And then he's going to be enthroned 
by their praises, by the way in which uh, they praise them. And so the psalmist in the darkest times remembers this. Well, God, you're holy. And I know that you're holy because you're enthroned on the praises of your people who you've brought through the worst kind of uh, trials. This uh, praises of God's people that he's enthroned on is not private praise. It's not private praise in this psalm that it's talking about. But it's praise when assembled with others for a praise. And you can see this especially at the end of the psalm. And let me point you to these uh, verses, Psalm 22 to 25. This is the kind of praise that God's holiness is enthroned on. It's public praise. It's praise in the middle of an assembly. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, and you descendants of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe, all you descendants of Israel, for, and here's what he's being praised for by, by this assembly, by these praises which enthrone his holiness, for he is not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard, and everybody who's praising the Lord has experienced this. That's what they're praising him for, and they're praising him as uh, holy. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who uh, fear him. The author of Hebrews derives uh, from this verse uh, that the resurrected and glorified and ascended Christ is not ashamed to call us his brethren because the psalm ultimately points to Christ and to it's fulfilled by what Christ experienced on the cross. The author of Hebrews knows that and it includes this from Christ himself. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, assembly, I will praise him. And so what the, the author of Hebrews derives from this is that Christ himself is not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed to call us brethren because it's written in this psalm. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and uh, verse 12. But when does Christ call us brethren? It's when he's in the midst of an assembly. The resurrected, ascended Christ calls us brethren. says, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will uh, praise you. And when is the resurrected, glorified, and ascended Christ in the midst of an assembly of people, of brethren, that he's not ashamed to call brethren, and praising with them in uh, the assembly? It's in church. And uh, scripture itself talks about Christ, the resurrected Christ, uh, in church in a passage, Matthew 18, that mentions the church and then says uh, Christ himself saying that where two or three are gathered in my name in a church, there am I in your midst. There am I praising God in your midst while you're praising God in the midst of the assembly and not ashamed to call these uh, brethren uh, as well. And so this is public praise uh, of God in the midst of uh, an assembly. The author of Hebrews uh, goes on to talk about um, assembling, not just with saints, but also that angels are assembled with us when we sing uh, before the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse uh, 22. You have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the assembly, to the assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle blood which speaks better than the blood of uh, angels. You'll notice this verse doesn't say, you will come to a great assembly with not only saints, but also uh, with angels and with righteous men made perfect who are in uh, the presence of the Lord. He's, he's writing to Christians and he says to them, you have come. You've already come to that assembly. When have you come to that assembly? 
when are you assembled together, not only with saints, but also with angels and also with the souls of uh, righteous men made uh, perfect? It's when you assemble in church and you come to praise the Lord together. There's more than meets the eye when you come uh, to assemble together and to praise uh, the Lord. You've come to a greater assembly than what you can uh, uh, see. And this is uh, suggested and more than suggested in a whole number of scriptures that when we assemble together uh, in church, there's more than meets the eye and that, there, that there's even angelic uh, participants uh, uh, there. There's a section of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that deals with the church when issues, uh, difficult issues uh, that are become problems in the church at Corinth that have to do with the time when they're assembled together. Uh, Paul says, this is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, In giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I uh, believe it. And so he talks about a number of difficulties, some having to do with the Lord's Supper, some even having to do with uh, a difficult issue of uh, head coverings. And he talks about this in that uh, same uh, uh, chapter, but uh, he talks about uh, women uh, when the church is gathered and when they're, the way I take it, leading in prayer or else prophesying that they should cover their heads. For whose sake? For the sake of the angels that are gathered uh, together in some way with the church when the church uh, gathers. And so, so it says, therefore, the woman not to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so again, the angels are there at the church in some way, uh, participating in our worship and in our praises and uh, in our music. And so our praise in music as a church ministers to God, ministers to God, is important, is important to God, sets forth his holiness and especially his holiness to save and answer to his uh, word is uh, participated in not just by ourselves, but by angelic watchers who are also worshipers of the Lord and participants and interested in every aspect of salvation, which is something that they don't experience, but they only witness and they're amazed because it sets forth God's character on uh, display in an, in an amazing uh, way. So our praise in music as a church ministers to God is a throne for his holiness. And our praise in worship in music as a church, when we gather together, also ministers to you. Ministers to God, and it also ministers to you. How? How does it minister to you? Well, I, I talked about some of these uh, in Sunday school already uh, this morning. It ministers to you in that you'll remember it afterward. It's a good way to get truth into your heart is uh, through singing, especially uh, profound hymns of the faith um, and then you have them in a time of trial and the Holy Spirit is able to bring them to mind through the music uh, that you already know, the, the music that you know uh, by heart. And the words of that music, the lyrics of that music probably can reach you in that moment of trial and darkness in a way that the sermon never will. You probably won't remember the exact words uh, of your pastor very rarely, but you'll often remember words that you've sung in church. And so the uh, ministry of music uh, in a church ministers not only to God, but it ministers uh, to you. Uh, it ministers to you at the time as you hear people encouraging you to worship the Lord together, to, to encourage you to uh, uh, continue 
in the faith, to keep going in the Christian life, to not be weary in the battle uh, that we're all uh, in together. And so uh, as the Psalms, so also the hymns that we sing, some of them are directed to God directly in praise to God. We worship you. We thank you, God. And some of the uh, the hymns that we sing are directed to each other. Uh, let us worship the Lord. Let us bow down and worship. We are his sheep and, and uh, the people of his pasture uh, and encourage us uh, together. In fact, that's how the uh, in the New Testament, the command for the church to worship is uh, phrased in terms of um, singing to God with thankfulness in our hearts and also singing to one another, encouraging one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and admonishing one another through the words of music. And so our praise in, in music as a church ministers to you in that way uh, as well. But in Sunday school, I left out one way in which praise in music to, uh, as a church ministers to you. And I left this out, though I think it's the most profound one. And that is when you worship the Lord, he's using it. He's using that worship to change you, to cause you to be a, a better worshiper uh, of him, to show you what you are created uh, for. And so there's a work that goes on in your, your heart when you worship the Lord that scripture speaks of. First Peter chapter two and, uh, verse, uh, verse five says, or verse four says this, and coming to him, we do that, we do that when we come before the Lord in worship. We do that when we come before the Lord together, uh, to praise him. Coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And so when you come before God to worship him, you minister to God, you set forth his character on display through your praises, um, and you are being built up at the same time uh, by him. Second Peter, or Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so as you praise the Lord, there's a ministry to you too. It's you're being transformed into the same image of the God that you are uh, worshiping. And just like the idolaters, as they worship their idol, they become like the idol. The idol has no eyes. It can't see. has no mouth. It cannot speak. And uh, they become like this piece of stone, this block of wood, uh, less and less like a human being as they worship this idol. So in the same way, when we worship the Lord, there's something else that's happening. We're being transformed. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. We're becoming more and more like him. Psalm 147 verse one says, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. Uh, and uh, that, that last part says that praise is becoming. It's the idea not only that it's good and it's pleasant, but it's fitting. It's a, it's a perfect fit. And so at, at your best moment of praising the Lord, when you really know and feel what it is to praise the Lord, for your heart to be full of thankfulness for who God is and for appropriate words to be on your lips along with everyone uh, else, uh, and you're experiencing the joy of uh, praising uh, God, you find it to be fitting. You should have a sense of, well, this is what I was made for. 
This is what I was uh, created for. I was made for uh, praising the Lord. And so there's a benefit to you. There's a ministry to you from the praise of the Lord uh, in, uh, in, in uh, music uh, as well. And uh, you're to take that at the time when you're only to be praising the Lord and take that into your work as well. That's what you do too when you're working in your job. Of course, your, your mind is occupied but uh, it's that same element of worship and glorifying the Lord that should characterize you as you work uh, as well. I explained at the first part of this message how God is, in, is praised and glorified by imperfect human praises, whether they be of uh, Israel or of Trinity Bible Church. Our worship is beset by distractions, some of them malign uh, and some of them benign. Uh, but distractions, and even at uh, best, our worship leaves much to be desired and much room for uh, uh, improvement, and yet his holiness is enthroned by that imperfect uh, 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 worship. But let me suggest this too, that it's good for you that your praise is imperfect, that your praise is imperfect, that the joy of what it feels like to really worship God in praise comes in glimpses. And that your body carries it for a while and then it passes. And then your praise is, is uh, done uh, very imperfectly. And that is that your body is not able to handle what it is to truly praise the Lord. It's like an electrical circuit carrying too much load of electrical uh, current. And uh, your body can't handle it. Your body wouldn't be able to do what it is to uh, worship uh, the Lord uh, fully, and so it comes to us imperfectly. It comes to us in in, uh, in moments uh, when we're able to truly experience what it is to uh, praise the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, verse 43 says about the body: it's sown in weakness. That's what we have now. It's raised in power, in power to worship the Lord. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, that's the body in the state that it is now, there's also a spiritual body. And that's a body that's really suited to worship the Lord. It says, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. And that's something that's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye when Christ himself returns uh, from heaven with a shout and, and uh, our bodies are changed to, to really know what it is to worship uh, the Lord and to, uh, to worship him uh, perfectly. Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah in his call uh, to be a prophet encountered a scene of pure worship for the angels. And the angels that he was seeing, though they were mighty in power, could, could barely take it in, could barely contain what it really means to uh, worship the Lord. And so the whole scene that he's watching in the temple of the angels uh, worshiping God is being torn apart as he's, as he's uh, watching it by this uh, great earthquake. And Isaiah's uh, response is actually to pronounce a curse upon himself. He, he's not really enjoying what it is to worship the Lord because he can't handle what it really is to worship the Lord. And let me, let me read it, the first part of it, very quickly. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, and that means burning ones, <laughs> angels that are bursting into to flames. They stood before him, each having six wings, with two, he covered his face as if to protect himself. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And they, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. 
because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so in the, in, in worship, pure worship, he's, he's, uh, has a crushing sense of his own defilement. And, uh, the, as the vision continues, the angel, uh, performs an action which, which, uh, causes him to be aware that the Lord has, has cleansed him, forgiven him for his, uh, sin, and he stands in God's presence as a forgiven, uh, a sinner. Well, the, the worship that we experience, though we can't fully, uh, take it in, um, as I said, it, um, it, uh, causes you to see not only what you should be doing at times when you're completely devoted to worshiping the Lord as in music when the congregation gathers, uh, but you're to take a lesson from that. As to what you're to be doing all the time, uh, as well. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse, uh, 31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And so what we take away from worship, a little portion of that could, should, ought to characterize each moment and gives us a goal to strive towards to find to be fitting. Not only when you're worshiping God in song, but in everything that you do. Colossians, in which we're commanded to worship the Lord uh, in song, in the church also makes that same kind of connection from uh, what we do when we're worshiping the Lord in song and in music together to what we're doing all the time. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what we're doing when we're together, we're singing to each other uh, with music. We're together for that purpose. And then it leads to this. Whatever you do, in deed or in word, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so the thankfulness that we're especially aware of when we worship the Lord in song together, that we're encouraging one another to have when we worship the Lord uh, together in song is, is something that we're to take with us, an attitude that we're to take with us in everything that you do in word or in deed, and so it's uh, something that benefits uh, and ministers to you as well as ministering uh, to God. So this is what you have in church when the church assembles in praise, and so you should come expectantly to participate in praise in the congregation whenever you come to church, not only with uh, your brothers and sisters, but in some way with the angelic host uh, as well. There's more uh, than, than meets the eye. You should expect it to be the foremost, the most prominent way that the Lord showcases and displays his holiness. He calls the praises of his people the throne of uh, his holiness despite its imperfection. And so it, uh, it, in, in that way, our praises truly minister uh, to God. And then uh, you're to be reminded. In that time, what every moment of your life is really about as uh, you're moved um, toward true worship in uh, your praises of uh, the Lord. You're to be reminded what you're created for in every moment of your life to, to uh, praise and to glorify with a thankful heart uh, the Lord. And in that way, um, the praise uh, of God ministers to you as well. Well, let me bring this message to a conclusion, and not only this message to a conclusion, but also our summer series on uh, the church. We've had in our Sunday school messages a number of aspects of the local church, 
And then I've put that together with a, a summer series from Scripture that also parallels and uh, talks about the doctrine of the church. So you've been getting a heavy dose this summer of the doctrine of the church. And I, I've said to some people as I've talked about it, well, I think people are getting the point of this, and so we're going to move on in the fall uh, and uh, head back to uh, finishing uh, Romans and uh, move on uh, to other things. But let me summarize even just the whole series, not just the music in the church, but other aspects that we've gone through in the church. Uh, let me conclude in this way, that the trials of the tumultuous 2020s, and that's what they've been really, they've been uh, tumultuous uh, for us in every way, have brought a question to the forefront about the church. And that is, what is the irreducible minimum of the church? What is the least the church can do and still be the church? In one way, that's never a profitable question to consider for the purpose of practicing it, for the purpose of paring down the church to the bare minimum of what uh, can be done in a church and for it still uh, to be uh, a a real uh, church. The moral imperative to pare down to the, ch- the church to an irreducible minimum indefinitely until further notice should never be foisted on the church from the outside, even by kings, even by princes, even by uh, governors. And so in some ways, it's a, it's a question that's not helpful to consider what is the irreducible minimum of the church. And yet in another way, God has sent us this trial at this time in part to consider profitably And to consider again, what is the irreducible minimum of the church? What is it about the church that makes it to be a church? And I think it's in in some way the trial has brought that to our attention. I think in a profitable way, God brings trials to us in every way uh, for our good uh, and to uh, profit, profit us. And as you think of that, biblical preaching, Biblical preaching is the first characteristic of any church. It's the first thing that makes a church to be a church, is the preaching of the word. That's uh, for sure the first thing. It's probably the reason why you come to this church, is for biblical preaching. I hope it is. Uh, You know that, again, imperfectly, I've been using that word a lot, but you know that imperfectly, the sermon is going to be governed by the Bible, not only in its content, but even in the form of the sermon as our, our normal diet of scriptures verse by verse teaching. And so even the form of the sermon itself should be governed by the sequence and the concerns of uh, the passage itself. Trinity Bible Church is known for Bible preaching. It's always been known for Bible preaching since it began. I hope it always will be known for Bible preaching until Christ uh, returns. And yet the church is more than preaching. The church is more than the ministry of the church. The church is more than being a delivery system for sermons uh, to be preached and heard in any way, even even to be sort of piped into your home uh, through the internet. So the church is more than that. The church is more than the thought that as long as sermon in audio form is delivered to your house, then the church is being everything that it's called uh, uh, to be. And so if you're listening to the word, that's being preached. If you're putting into practice the word that's being preached and especially what it says about the church, you'll know that the church is more than the preaching of the word. It also involves discipleship as an irreducible minimum, as essential to the church. It also involves fellowship 
of the Lord's uh, people. It also involves baptism and the Lord's Supper. It also involves church government through elders. That's who God has appointed as leaders of the church. It also involves singing together. That's part of, uh, essential part of the church. It can't, the church can't be less than that and still be a church. It also involves praying together and it also involves, uh, even more than that. A church that doesn't sing together isn't a church. It's not a church. It's something else. It's a new thing and not new in a good sense, but it's a departure, uh, from, uh, the plan of God and from the word of God. And it's a innovation of men. A church that doesn't pray together is not a church. A church that doesn't fellowship together is not a church. A church that doesn't practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit together uh, is not a church. A church that is not on mission together, the mission that God has sent our, our church on to make disciples and to be a light to the church, uh, is not uh, a church. And so a church that not only preaches the word, but also does all those things uh, together and even sings together, and, and praises God together is a church and is also a throne for God's holiness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd encourage us uh, to continue in being a church in every sense. And uh, we've looked at one aspect of it, an important one, uh, of singing in the church. And we thank you that uh, your church resounds with music, with voices uh, of your people. Uh, it falls short of perfection even at its best, and yet it's the throne for your holiness. Father, we pray that we would um, endeavor to be a, a better throne, um, a more uh, clear display of your holiness in every aspect of what it means to be a church, in our fellowship, in our singing uh, together, in our praying uh, together, uh, and in every aspect of what it means to worship you and to be saved and to be part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.